0: Welcome to OVS Orbit, the podcast for vSwitch users and developers. This is episode number 63. Chou Yu Shao is a PhD student studying computer science at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. This summer, he was my intern at VMware, and this episode is a talk he gave at VMware in May, based on his paper, Personalized Pseudonyms for Servers in the Cloud, published in 2017. On to the talk.
1: Good morning everyone and uh, I'm a PhD student from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and uh, I'm very happy to be here and uh, join the uh, Open switch team for the summer intern and uh, and uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about my dissertation research. <laughs> so yeah. So the, the title of this uh, work is Personalized pseudonym for Service in the Cloud. Uh, it's a joint work with my advisor Mike Reiter from UNC Chapel Hill and uh, Dr. Ng Chen Zhang from Ohio State University. So first, uh, let's look at the problem. Like, um, so uh, so if you are a user who is cautious about uh, your privacy when you are browsing the internet, so hopefully you will use HTTPS to access websites. So HTTPS encrypts all the network packets, the contents of all the network packets uh, during the transmission of those packets but like there are still many identifiers in the network packets, which reveals the identity of the server. Like the domain name in the DNS query and the the domain name in the TLS server name indication field and also in the client certificate key, uh, in the client certificate. And also the public key and IP address is also identifiers tells the adversary what's the identity of the server. So why does this matter and what's the problem with this? Like, it turns out like many real world adversaries are using the identity of the server to uh, compromise users' privacy, especially in some country like the citizens might be penalized by the government if they are accessing to some websites which uh, is not allowed by the government. And also in the, in the US, like the ISPs, are empowered now to permit are permitted now to collect the web accessing trace of the user based on the identity of the server. So they will they can build a profile of the user based on the histories of your web visiting activities, and they might sell this information to other party or just sell ad- advertisement for you, like by collecting all your private information. So there are some existing solutions to make your web visiting more private. Like So normally, a VPN is a very common tool used by the user. So in VPN, basically, there is a VPN client and a VPN proxy. So between the client and the proxy, the contents are tunneled through a tunnel and all encrypted. And so the untrusted network can only see the encrypted packets and the, the VPN proxy then uh, gets the transmitted content and talks with the website directly. So that part of the communication is uh, normally un- unencrypted, but uh, uh, in the user's point of view, it's fine because the adversary can only see the encrypted packets. And also Tor is a very popular tool which, uh, be- uh, which offers an overlay Tor network and the packets is uh, still is encrypted and uh, relayed by several relays between the client and the destination. So this uh, Tor offers a stronger stronger privacy guarantee because for each of the Tor nodes, it only knows the previous uh, node sent uh, and the next uh, node for this communication without knowing the the real client and the server for for, each, for the network packets like relayed by the tall node and in the just some uh, papers published in academia uh, which also trying to solve the similar problem and in the cloud transport and domain fronting work basically the researchers they are making use of uh, uh, cloud the existing cloud service in the cloud like AWS uh, storage service or Google App engine they're using those services to build a uh, essentially a proxy to uh, accept uh, accept connections from the client and the connections are encrypted. And also the connections are using the subdomain name of the cloud as a front domain. So the domain name now is ha- as a real domain name. The real domain is in the in- encrypted packets. So it's hiding from the adversaries and the, also it's acting as a proxy. So the the cloud service talks with the real server to relay the, relay the traffic. And the cache browser, uh, but uh, like uh, this work, they assume a non-cooperative and oblivious cloud provider. And essentially it's a proxy-based design. Like it's different from what I'm doing, which I will explain later. And the cache browser is uh, the existing CDN contents. You uh, use the CDN pro- Provider to retrieve contents from different uh, CDN servers. So, so because it's harder to block all the CDN servers, so uh, the, 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 the cache browser itself can eventually get the contents of the website. The problem with cache browser is the domain name is still visible in the TLS server name indication field, so the adversary can still know what's the identity of the server. So in my work, I uh, in my work I uh, assume a trusted and cooperative cloud provider, which offers a service called personalized pseudonyms pseudonym for the server in the cloud. To so uh, the, to co- co- cooperate with the client, the, the cloud provider the cloud provider basically co- collaborate with cooperate with the client to replace all the Identifies with pseudonyms. So, especially the domain name was replaced with uh, also a subdomain name of uh, the cloud provider. So, we call this domain name as a Popsicle as well. So, the benefits of our design is we don't require any extra client application. So, no browser extension, no cli- extra client software. So, the user can use the ma- major browsers to use our service. And also there is no proxy sitting between the communication from the client to the, to the server, so which makes it faster and more scalable into the threat model of our design. I have a question. I, yeah.
2: I, I, so I, I don't understand, though, if it's, if it's all the traffic is passing through that the cloud provider. What, you say there's no proxy, but what is that? How does that work? Isn't that essentially a proxy?
1: I mean, it's different. If you think the proxy, uh, what's, what what proxy does is build a two TCP connection between the client and the server and relay the traffic, mm-hmm. then we are not entirely doing that. So uh, the so the uh, the component uh, enabled our relaying is basically done by the we switch to do the network address translation. So which will be more clear after, I, okay. uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> after I introduce my design. Great. Yeah. So, yeah, the threat model of our design is uh, the client, computer, and the cloud infrastructure is trusted, including the tenant server, uh, talks, uh, communicates with the client. But uh, the network between the client and the cloud is not trusted, and the other clients and also other tenant servers in the same data center is not trusted. And uh, the first step to use our service <coughs> is to do a popsicle re- registration. So basically a user visit, visits a website hosted by the cloud. Uh, we call it a, a popsicle store. So the user tells the cloud, like, this is the website <coughs> I want to visit privately. React to this registration request, the cloud generates a pseudonym, which is pseudo domain name, which is a popsicle for the user. And the user will bookmark bookmarks this uh, pseudo domain domain name, and also it's download associated client certificate and private key, which he also needs to install in the browser to authenticate himself later.
2: Does this need to happen for each domain? Do you have to get a separate client?
1: Yes, for each domain, you register uh, register, uh, Popsicle, essentially. (laughs) But uh, but the Popsicle, like...
2: Do Do you only need to do it... Once.
1: Once. Yeah, for once for every domain. Yeah.
0: So but, but each user would get a, a separate a popsicle and a separate key insert for yes. each domain?
1: Yes, yes. So the popsicle itself is independent from the identity of the server. So different users will get their own different popsicles. Only himself knows what's the real identity of this uh, popsicle.
3: And the popsicle provider?
1: Yeah, the popsicle provider no. uh is trusted in our third model. So the public provider is basically the a cloud provider.
3: So maybe I'm missing something. So a couple of slides earlier you mentioned that uh, the couple of research papers in academia mm-hmm. sent through a cloud provider. Yes. In which case, we are assuming that he's a non-cooperative cloud provider. That is, if government requests for something, he's not going to cooperate. Yes. So in this case, don't they have the same problem?
1: You, uh, in this case, uh, it's, a cl- it's a cooperative cloud provider because the cloud provider needs to change the way how they deploy the cloud, like basically by deploying extra software uh, in the... So,
3: for example, if the government comes and says, hey, uh-huh. I want to know who all the people who have accessed this particular end website, let's yeah, say, and then he potentially can reverse engineer and tell all the people who have access
1: to the I mean, if the government asks the cloud provider to reveal this information, like... Okay. The, the cloud, yeah, the cloud provider certainly knows this information, but whether he will co- cooperate with the government is... is un, I mean, it's unknown, right? Okay. Like, yeah. okay. But the cloud provider knows all this information. So under the hood, how the Popsicle registration was complete by the cloud provider systems. So first the registration request goes to the Popsicle store. The Popsicle store generates a Popsicle for this request and also binds the pseudo IP address to this Popsicle and uh, gives this Popsicle and the pseudo IP information to the DNS server in the cloud. It also uh, bind a tenant server ID with the Popsicle and uh, send this information to the SDN controller, which is uh, will be used during the uh, real access phase by the SDN controller. And it also generates a server client certificate and a server private key, and client certificate and a client private key. The server certificate uh, is signed by the cl- uh, cloud private key to uh, in order to for the client to authenticate the server identity, so the the client so the cloud certificate should be a root root certificate for your browser for that purpose, and the client certificate is signed by the server private key, because the server also needs to authenticate authenticate the client's identity. The public key and the server certificate server private key information is sent to the Corresponding tenant server, the public code and the client certificate and the client cert- certificate key, uh, uh, client private key, uh, are sent to the client machine. So after this phase, the user can use the public code to access the tenant server he wants to visit, like later, in any, uh, uh, in the uh, yeah after the registration. So how how does the uh, access works? So first the DN- the the client sends a DNS query to the DNS server, the DNS query is resolved to a sudo IP address. So, So here, the pseudo IP address is also independent of the IP of the tenant's server. So basically reveals nothing about the real identity of the server. And actually, the pseudo IP address is the IP address of the SDN controller. So the package was forwarded to the SDN controller, and the Client builds a TCP connection with the STM controller. The, S, uh, the first message sent from the client to the uh, STM controller is a TLS client hello message. So in the TLS client hello message, uh, there, there is a, 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 a server name indication field. So the SDM controller looks up this Popsicle information and also it has a database uh, which tells the Controller, what's the real identity of this uh, popsicle based on the tenant server ID? So after the server figures, uh, the, after the SDN controller figures out the real identity of the tenant server, it sets some SDN rules to the SDN switch. So basically, there are two rules in this phase. The first rule states that all the packet, uh, the switch drops all the packets sent from the client to the SDN controller. And for the packets which send from the tenant to the client the SDN switch writes replaces the source IP address from the tenant IP to the pseudo IP basically hiding the facts what's the real the, the, the real IP address of the tenant and after this the SDN controller hands off the TCP state state to the tenant server and after the, after the TCP handoff fi- uh, is finished, it updates the SDN rules. So, so here, are the first rule will write the destination uh, IP address uh, from the pseudo IP to the tenant IP for all the packets sent from the client to the SDN controller so that uh, the, pa- the packets can be redirected. Can be redirected correctly to the corresponding tenant server. And for all the packets sent from the tenant server to the client, the SDN switch writes the replace the source IP address from the tenant IP to the pseudo IP. So the identity of the, so this identifier basically is replaced and hiding from the adversaries. From uh, coming uh, from the untrusted network. So,
2: so let's say that if you, if I were connecting to my bank, and then it's an encrypted connection, does this work? If it's, if it's encrypted, I can see how this works with it. If it's unencrypted,
0: uh,
1: okay. If it's encrypted, whether it works, I think it works uh, regardless of if it's encrypted or unencrypted. Because the
2: the certificate that the that the client is going to receive is going to be the certificate for the cloud provider, right?
1: You mean the client certificate?
2: The server certificate.
1: The, yeah, the server the server certificate is just is a certificate associated with the public and uh, is signed by the client pro- provider's uh, private key. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. So then, what happens? But then, if you forward the traffic to like my bank, which is using HTTPS, yes. Then what happens when the when it tries to establish an SSL connection back?
1: Oh, I see. Like if. Uh,
2: because otherwise, because we've already established a channel, which is going to be HTTP, and we've verified the certificate, but now the, the bank is going to want to negotiate an you know, encrypted tunnel as well.
1: Another independent right. encrypted Yeah, Yeah, that uh, case is not considered in, in, my, in, in, my, in this work, but okay. it's a good uh, question, like how, what, what I need to change in order to make right. that happen yeah yeah
2: but I'm just curious because you know, especially as things are moving to like you know the HTTPS everywhere if, if everything is going to encrypt it I'm just wondering how that would
1: work yeah because in that case we also needed to add more NAT rules in the switch to basically change the IP address for the for the actual SSL connections from the bank server to the to the client but I'm
2: wondering how, how does the how does the client because ver- the, the client is going to Receive an encrypted channel. So how is it going to
0: understand the certificate? So do you get end to end an end to end TLS connection to the to the tenant, um, or do you have to trust uh, the the popsicle server so that uh, you, you only get um, uh, you, you only get an encrypted connection to that? server? So
1: we get end to end. TLS connection with the tenant server. So because the TCP state hands off phase was, uh, it's only, it hands off the client hello message to the tenant server. So the tenant server basically picks up the uh, TLS session from the client hello message. So at that point, it's not built yet. So the TLS connection, like the authentication and the key negotiation are uh, uh, is not happening. At that point
0: okay so what what uh, accepts and checks the client certificate mm-hmm. um, is is that uh, is the tenant required to understand and verify the client certificate or, or where does that happen
1: yes the the tenant needs to verify the client certificate as, as well so there needs to be a,
0: the, the tenant needs to be cooperating
1: yeah, yeah, the tenant needs to cooperating so in the in the registration phase the Popsicle store, like uh, send the Popsicle server, server certificate and, uh, and the server private key to the tenant server. So the tenant server basically uh, ac- accept this information and uh, uh, reconfigure it, it's the server itself. So in our implementation, we use uh, nginx server. So it's basically add a vir- one more virtual server for, 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 the, for, for, for this website.
0: So in your example, the, the bank would have to participate in this. Okay.
2: So so every every website would have to then modify their behavior to work with um, with obstacle.
1: Yes, yes. So the, the server software needs to be modified to participate in this uh, process. Okay. Yeah. Basically to uh, update, uh, like set up, uh, uh, authenticate, like the... Like uh, how to authenticate the server, kind of uh, server private key and some
2: something. Have, have like you that. talked to any any sites about this? I mean, I just wonder about. I mean, I know this isn't really directly related to your dissertation because it's not mm. technical, but I mean just the practical because they're essentially establishing a man in the middle for all their uh, clients. Yeah, I,
1: I talked with one engineer from Cloudflare, I guess. Like, uh, yeah, his reaction is. It's too much key to be managed by the server for this purpose. Like, because uh, it's potentially, like, assume, like, my tenant server has 10,000 uh, clients. Then there will, there will be 10,000 private key and certificate in order to be managed by the tenant server. So it's a complicated. It, so, so it's a little bit hard to, to manage that.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I, I assume that that would be workable. I mean, that's just an engineering exercise. Yeah. But the, I just wonder about the more the practical of the, the security. Like part. Yeah, the banks all agreeing that they'll so Facebook, so, Facebook uh, and other
1: people. Yeah, if uh, if this TLS connection is the for the server, it's the only secure connection for for the client to talk with the server. I think it works, but if the server. Later on, like initiate some extra SL, SSL connection or TLS connection with a client. So I'm not sure for, for the functionality point of view what needs to be changed for our system, but uh, in a security point of view, if those TOS connections also can authenticate the client's identity, like it should be fine. I mean in a way if they can authenticate the client's identity. But uh, yeah, I, I need to think more about this case, this okay. special case. Yeah, so so basically after these points, all the network, uh, the network packets um, are NAT by the SDN switch, so they, they go directly to the tenant server. And the tenant server builds a TLS connection with the client, if the client can present the valid uh, client certificate and the private key to authenticate himself. So we implement, we, deploy, the, we implement, deploy this cloud uh, with, uh, by using OpenStack based uh, ISS cloud and deploy it in the, in the Cloud Lab testbed. And uh, the PowerSQL store and the SDN controller are implemented from scratch by, uh, with C and C. Plus, C plus plus. And we, we use the OpenV switch as an SDN switch uh, in, the, in each hypervisor of the physical machine to do the net, uh, network address translation. For the tenant server side, like uh, we implement a Linux kernel module for, for the TLS, for the TCP state transfer process. So basically this module needs to be installed in the tenant server and also the hypervisor. This
0: is a custom module that you wrote?
1: Yeah, it's a custom module. Like it's adopted from previous kernel module, which does the TCP state uh, transferring stuff, but I modified several parts to make this work on the specific kernel and our case. I'm
0: not sure what you mean by TCP
1: state transferring. So, uh, so the state is, uh, so, so the TCP connection is first built with the SDN controller. And uh, so there is a sequence number and uh, also a, a buffer to Store the message received from the client, like the client hello message, basically. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, so
0: buffer up a, enough of the initial message and, uh, and, and look at the the content of the connection to figure out where to send the. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we needed to look up the TCP client hello message. So, so these are the state okay. being transferred to the tenant server. I understand. That. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like uh, like I mentioned before. Uh, so each public code is basically a virtual host in the turn of the nginx web server. So it's basically the same server instance, but uh, use a different domain name and uh, server certificate and the private key for the purpose of access this uh, tenant server. Uh, we did uh, some evaluation to evaluate to evaluate the latency of the of our service. So compared with uh, HTTPS, uh. Popsicle is only minimally more expensive than HTTPS and uh, it's much better than Tor. So we also evaluate the throughput of our service. So here is the throughput for HTTPS and the HTTPS with client certificate authentication <coughs> and the Popsicle. So the degradation for throughput is around 30% for the Popsicle. Uh, we also uh, so did some evaluation for the scalability. So this one is very uh, very interesting case because we compare uh, our design with the proxy based design. So basically uh, in the alternative design, we run the proxy in the cloud. So the proxy accepts a TCP connection from the client and builds another TCP connection with the tenant server to relay traffic. So we change the web object size transmitted in this TCP connection. So as we can see, as the web ob as the size of the web object increases the throughput is reduced a lot if 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 we deploy the proxy to relay relay packets between the client and the server but in our design by using open switch to do the network address translation it's very stable regardless of the size of the web object size the throughput maintains uh, is is stable we also evaluate like how does the number of rules will affect the latency of our our process? These are open these switch rules. Yeah, open switch w- w- rules. Yeah, open w- switch rules. So yeah, so the results for this one is is kind of interesting. Like uh, because we found la- even we increase the number of rules, there is a sudden change when the rules uh, is changed from two hundred thousand to four hundred thousand. But after that, the latency is quite stable. So uh, after I read the paper the open with paper, like I found that so uh, essentially like these rules are all uh, or, or use the same fields, so it it only use one cache t- uh, hash table, so even we add more rules, like it doesn't affect the latency that much but uh, but 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 I don't know why there is a sudden change from twenty thousand to forty thousand.
2: Are, are these, um, you're adding the rules, are they, um, are you sending traffic across all of them?
1: Mm, yes, yes. Like uh, the table, basically in the same table, there are uh, 200,000 rules of different, uh, uh, different net rules, basically, like it's a different IP address.
2: But are, but are you sending traffic across all of them, So if you have a million rules, are you sending a million flows?
1: No, I'm only sending one. Uh, yeah, so one flow? Of, yeah. yeah,
2: some of it may have to do with the way the caching mechanism works as well, okay. if you're adding flows to the um, open flow rules, uh-huh. um, that's not necessarily going to impact the, the the kernel cache.
1: I see, I see. So it might be different if uh, multiple uh, simultaneous Yeah, I guess is that the
2: performance would go down if you, if you you'd end up thrashing the well actually I guess that the, no I take that back because the if you're yeah, actually, yeah, you would end up thrashing because then you would have matches over the, um, like the, this since you're doing like a, you're doing like a three-tuple, I think. You're doing yeah, three-tuple, yeah. Yeah, so then um, each one of those would be a different um, um, flow entry in the kernel, uh-huh. and then we try to keep those in, in like the low thousands. Oh, low thousands, Yeah. Like so beyond that, up, that it will be. Yeah, my guess is you probably start thrashing, yeah. I see. But there are probably other ways that you could write the flows. Yeah, there might, actually there might be ways with the connection tracking, you don't do the um, the NAT with OVS,
1: right? We are, we are
2: you using Nginx or are you using OVS? OVS.
1: So 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 use OVS to do the NAT. Oh okay. Yeah.
2: Oh well, then it may 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 not be too bad then, depending on how the rules are written, because then you'd be using the connection tracker to actually keep the real um, flow
0: state. No, I think he is using just the rules to change the IP address. That's, that's
1: yeah. So we don't need to track the state that we okay. yeah only match the
3: not the CT. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, then in that
2: case, then I think you would end up with lots of rules in the, in the kernel. Yeah. And then you'd probably end up with thrashing. But there might be ways to optimize the, the way the flows are written. Okay.
1: Yeah, we also test uh, what the number of uh, popsicle well affects the latency. So, like, if the tenant server has 60,000 different popsicle, what, what happens? It turns out that the latency doesn't change, but the memory usage increased a lot for, for the tenant server. But I, I think this is for the specific implementation in the NGIX web server, like the way they implement a virtual host. So they might just load, load some data in the memory whenever there is a new virtual host host deployed, but uh, might be ways to optimize here as well. Can you go back
0: a slide, or two, two slides? So you said you had... One rule, you were
1: sending data? Um, and then one data, rule. Like you were sending data on one uh so, so there are multiple rules in the same switch, in the same table, the same switch. But uh, in the evaluation, there is only one active connection.
2: Yeah, you're only sending data on one
1: connection. Yeah, yeah. i only sending data when there is one connection. So
2: the kernel... Just that. Right. That's what I'm saying that. I think that's why it, it's flat. When you know, we kind of, I'm actually kind of a little surprised it jumps up at all. But, yeah. Yeah. but, um, but that, it, but it's not surprising to me that it's flat at, at some point because at that point
0: oh, for just, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you basically, we're ignoring the up until forty four hundred thousand. It may be just kind of on like a measuring, measuring inconsistency mm-hmm. or something like that. Right? Yeah,
2: yeah I'm, not, I'm not sure why it would change at 400,000. I understand early on why it would change, but that... Um,
3: yeah, very early on. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm, I mean, I'm a little surprised that it goes up. <laughs> that, Could be I, a spurious, maybe a spurious data point or something. Yeah, or? But, but yeah, what I was saying before is I would be surprised if there were a million flows if the performance were like that. I would expect it to, to drop through the floor. So. And like sending data, yeah. Yeah, Because yeah, then you're then yeah, you'd be thrashing sure. the cash. Oh, and, that's for
0: sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, that's basically all my presentation, and uh, I'm happy to answer other questions if you have other comments or questions.
0: So the initially motivating example of uh, Facebook in uh, regimes that don't like Facebook mm-hmm. um, made, made me wonder if you had any thoughts on I. I I think there's probably limited use for this sort of thing in that kind of case because, you know, Facebook itself requires everyone to be... uh, You're not allowed to be anonymous on Facebook, so if the regime doesn't like you, then they don't care whether you were doing it uh, over a a data connection that that identifies you because your posts there on Facebook identify you. And I, I, I worry... That, um, that, that using client certificates as a, a means of um, anonymization or, or pseudonymization, um, in some ways, kind of goes backward. Because if I go into like incognito mode in something like uh, Chrome, mm-hmm. uh, then um, I can log in anonymously using a username and a password. But there's no provision for a, a you know an incognito mode client certificate. If I download a client certificate, it gets saved to uh, whatever device I'm using, and it stays there. And if someone seizes that device, that client certificate is really good evidence. Whereas um, the you know username and password that I was using in incognito mode, that goes poof. I just wonder. Do, do you have any thoughts on that kind of thing?
1: So you're asking whether like it's really effective in for the user who wants to access Facebook, for example, in the country.
0: Right. I, I agree that it's really good for hiding it from your ISP, but from you know authorities, I'm I'm nervous about that.
1: Yeah, so I mean, the, compared with the incognito inco- inco- yeah, uh, mode, like the incognito mode, I think the IP address is still the IP address of the Facebook server. So the common way for the sensor who censors the user's access is based on IP address or the domain name information. Like, uh, so, so it's basically more comput- computation effective for them to automatically Cut down this uh, traffic by using the IP address to identify the server's identity so so in the se- so in our case uh, since we are replacing all the identifiers with pseudonym like the server uh, the, the, the sensor they cannot easily identify what uh, what's what's the destination of the server, but like you said uh, it's maybe evident for the sensor like. You are using the service of you are using the public service, so you are trying to h- hiding the fact like you are visiting some disallowed website, and also like they maybe seize your computer to get the client certificate and uh, private key to uh, log in the website by themselves to see what's so to see what's the identity of the web server and use it as the evidence to accuse you later. So so that part is uh
3: so facebook.com does allow fake profiles though i mean they have no way to know who is doing this right Um, i can create a wrong name and start posting via popsicle the government will see the facebook profile they will ask facebook to tell who was the ip address and the facebook will say the ip address is from this popsicle server so if the government has influence over the popsicle Service provider, they
2: can, but otherwise, I don't understand how. I, I think Ben's concern, though, is that if you have this popsicle certificate on your computer and your computer gets seized, that then they can determine whether or not you, whether um, what, what sites you visited, yeah, you created a popsicle account for. Yeah.
1: So in some sense, might be so, might be not as a very good tool compared with, uh, Tor and, uh, but I mean, Tor is. So it it's all depends on how, how much resource the sensor wants to, be, wants to put in order to censor you or accuse you later. So it's a very light way, but like this service is very light way to, to escape that. Like if the cloud provider decides to offer this service and, uh, <coughs> and the user then can use it to, to do so. But I mean, if they really wants to accuse you Based on the evidence in your computer, so you might be more cautiously. i like to. I only use it once, and then I delete the certificate and the private key, and to register another public call for the Facebook domain. So you can always do mar- multiple registration, even for the same for the same domain name. You want to use the same Facebook domain name.
0: Right, and there's there's no reason that a web browser couldn't offer temporary client certificates if they felt like that was useful, but I, I don't know of any web browser that, that does that now.
1: You mean the temp certificate for the popsicle stuff?
0: Where you say you uh, install a client certificate in incognito mode and that client certificate is only stored in memory and uh, is deleted, uh, oh, I you, see. Uh, yeah. for example, close that window. That's possible, but I don't think anything implements it.
1: But the client certificate itself needs to be in the disk, right? Like, uh,
0: well, only if only if
2: you wanted to persist. It means like like an incognito mode where it's where you you connect to the site and then basically as soon as you leave incognito mode, mode then the, okay, like all okay. the client certificates are flushed as well.
1: Okay, so you are saying, like the register I registered it and uh, the client certificate only use temporarily, temporarily when I'm using like in, in this mode and after that. Yeah, I think the browser can do that. Like if they want if they want to make it more secure. So that will solve the problem. Like the sensor might seize your computer and get evidence later. Yeah.
2: And so so this this ends up having a um a root certificate, correct? On so the the client has to install a root certificate as well,
1: right? Yeah, I mean if uh, I guess uh, Amazon certificate is is in the chain of the trusted root okay. of the browser. So, I mean, if you are a big cloud provider, you don't need to ask the user to install root certificate, okay. but you you needed to use that private key to sign the to sign the server certificate for the protocol in order to be made make it recognized by the client. Yeah. Thank you for the talk. Yeah, thanks Thank thanks for coming.
0: OVS Orbit is edited and produced by Ben Pfaff using Audacity audio editing software and released under the Creative Commons Unported 3.0 license. The intro and bumper music in this episode is excerpted from Electro Deluxe by My Free Mickey and the outro from Girls Like You by Stefan Kartenberg, both under the Creative Commons Attribution Unported 3.0 license. For more episodes of OVS Orbit, visit ovsorbit.org. Or for more information about OpenVSwitch, visit openvswitch.org.